Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com biggerpockets. Hey everyone, welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer. Today we're gonna to be talking about one of the most hot button issues in the entire economy, housing affordability. And we all know that housing affordability has been declining pretty steadily throughout the course of 2022. According to the National Association of Realtors, which has been tracking housing affordability over the last couple of decades, housing has reached its least affordable point since 1989. And there are a lot of different ways that you can measure affordability. So we wanted to double check that. And according to Black Knight, another really reliable data source, they actually think affordability is at its lowest point that it's been since the mid 80s. So by almost every measure, we are seeing affordability go down. And this, of course, creates all sorts of problems, not just for home buyers, but also for investors. It even creates home problems for renters and basically all of society becomes sort of burdened when housing is 
as unaffordable as it is today. And of course, this is sort of this really huge, broad topic, and there are a lot of questions that need to be answered and discussed about affordability in general. And unfortunately, we can't get to all of it today, but we can start chipping away at this issue. We're going to you know, probably do a bunch of other shows about housing affordability, rent affordability, and some of the tangential things around this over the next couple of months. But today... What we can start addressing and what I think is most pressing for most people, especially for real estate investors, is just what, where are we in terms of affordability? Is it sustainable? Is this unusual in the United States? Is it unusual in the context of the world? So some of the questions I'm going to dive into today are why is affordability so low? And for the purposes of this episode, we're mostly talking about housing, not rent. That can be another episode. But so we're going to talk about why is affordability low for housing right now? How has affordability trended over the last several decades? So we have some context about where the housing market is right now. We'll talk about how the U.S. compares to other countries in terms of affordability. And this might not seem that obvious, but so many people ask me if current levels of affordability, or maybe I should say unaffordability, are sustainable. And for that, we sort of have to look outside the U.S., right? Because we only, as a as a country, know what's happened in the U.S. so far. But if we look at different countries, we can see other examples of whether the U.S. is relatively affordable compared to the rest of the world and whether levels of unaffordability like we have now can be sustained into the future. And lastly, we're actually going to look at some of the markets in the U.S. that are the most and least affordable because as we've seen for years, people are moving to more affordable markets. And so that could perhaps inform some of your investing decisions if you know where uh, housing is the most or least affordable. So we have a great show for you today. As always, we are, you know, the whole mission of this show is to try and help you better understand the economics surrounding the housing market and real estate investing. And today's show is going to really help you understand the limits of housing price appreciation, right? We've seen it go up and up and up and people wonder where can it go? That's what we're talking about today, where the housing market is and where it can go in the next couple of years. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, 
I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb. And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. All right, first things first, let's just... define affordability and what it means, because that's what we're going to be talking about today. So we might as well all have a mutual understanding of what housing affordability is. Basically, what we talk about when we say housing affordability, what we mean is how easily the average American can afford the average priced home. And of course, this is going to vary pretty dramatically from city to city, you know, San Francisco obviously being really unaffordable. Cities like Kansas City are more affordable. But for now, in the first part of this episode, we're going to talk about this on a national level. We'll get into the regional differences in just a little bit. And to calculate housing affordability, there are a lot of different companies that do this, and each of them sort of has their own way of doing it, their own methodology. But There are basically two really obvious inputs for how you calculate affordability. The first is income, right? How much money do people actually have? And the second is housing prices. How much do houses cost? Those are the two obvious inputs, but I should point out that there is a third really important input, which is mortgage rates. It was actually kind of hard to figure out the number of houses in the U.S. that have a mortgage or are purchased with a mortgage. I, I found some uh, some different competing data sources. It looks like it's above 90%. Either way, it's the vast, overwhelming majority of homes are purchased with some kind of mortgage, whether it's an FHA mortgage, a VA mortgage, conventional most of them are purchased with a mortgage. And so that is a third really important variable, right? You can't just look at housing prices and income. You have to look at how expensive the debt is that you're using to purchase that house. So most 
measurements of affordability use these three variables. And I'm going to be talking about a bunch of different studies and information here. Uh, but just know that regardless of the methodology, those are sort of like the primary factors and primary variables that go into affordability. So with this understanding, hopefully for you, it's easy to see why affordability is so low right now. Prices, of course, everyone on earth basically knows that prices have been going crazy over the last couple of years. They're up over 40% pre-pandemic. As of July, they're up 14% year over year, and that is slowing down, but 14% year over year is still incredibly high by any historical context. And so, um, you know, this is one of the fastest uh, rates of appreciation and growth that we've seen in the housing market ever. And so that is one major reason. If one of the three variables we just talked about has skyrocketed, like they have, that's super important. The next is interest rates have doubled since the beginning of the year or nearly doubled, I should say. And, and rates are really volatile right now. So it's hard to know, you know, depending on when you listen to this, it could change a little bit. But we started the year with interest rates at about 3.1% for the average 30-year fixed rate mortgage. And that's for owner occupants, not for investors. But that rate has jumped up somewhere between 5 and 6%. It's, it's trending right now as of this recording, which is, you know, the end of August. Um, it is trending around mid fives, 5.5, 5.6%. It's gone close to six. It's been back down to five. It's all over the place. But whatever it is, it is up a lot from the beginning of the year. So you take those two things combined. You see that prices have gone crazy. Interest rates have gone up nearly double. Those are two of the three factors in affordability, and they're both pointing towards less affordability. The last factor, of course, is wages and income, and that is going up. It's gone up 5.2% year over year, and that's great. Like in a normal year when there's not super high inflation, that would be incredible, but it's just not enough to keep pace, right? You know, if, if housing prices went up 14% year over year, interest rates have doubled, a 5% year over year increase in wages is definitely not enough to even really make a dent in affordability. I guess it helps a little bit, but it really is not even close to enough to where it would need to be for affordability to moderate. So that's sort of where we are today. Affordability is very low because housing prices have skyrocketed, interest rates are up in the mid fives, and wages have not kept pace. So the question then becomes like, is this new? Is it sustainable? Has this happened before? And the short answer is, this is not new. Actually, this is not an unprecedented time. I actually kind of thought it would be that this would be one of the least affordable times to buy a home in the US, but that is not the case. In the late 70s and early 80s, housing was actually less affordable. And, and for periods of that, it, it was way less affordable than it is now, largely because of interest rates. Interest rates in the late 70s, some points in the 80s, were actually in the double digits. And, and I'm talking about mortgage interest rates um, because inflation was super high. Can you imagine that? Like people right now are complaining that interest rates have gone up to 5% or 6%. They were like 15% in the 50s, in the 70s and 80s. And I really don't believe that we're getting back to that point at any time. But as you can imagine, even though home prices were not as high as they were that then, when you have interest rates that high, you can bet that affordability is going down. And, and that's exactly what happened. 
I think it's also important to note that we are less affordable now than we were leading up to the Great Recession. And that is correlation. That is not causation, everyone. So that does not mean that just because affordability was low prior to the Great Recession that the market is going to crash. But it is important to know. It's an important data point that in 2006, we were just we were slightly less affordable than we were now. Now, we all know, like, I just think, let me just stress that point again, because I don't want anyone to get confused. This does not mean that there will be a crash just because these two data points happened at the same time. We all obviously know what happened in the late 2000s, but it's also important to know that it didn't crash in the 70s or 80s. So in the 70s and 80s, the the, the price to income ratio was above 50%, which is crazy. It's at about 36% now. Um, and so it was way worse. It was way less affordable. And the market did not crash in the 70s, 80s. It actually grew pretty steadily, at least in nominal, non nominal means not inflation adjusted terms. So just keep that in mind, right? That that the the market kept going up despite that really, really high unaffordability, less affordability than we saw today. That's something um, just, just to take note of. I want to make sure everyone understands these are not causal. They are correlated. So all that said, the question of, is this new? No, it's not. Housing is the least affordable it's been in decades, but it's by it's not even close really to the worst it's ever been. Um, it was actually way worse in the mid 80s. So um, that is something that you should keep in mind that obviously this is a problem. It's a problem for everyone, for home buyers, investors, renters, society, but it is not the worst it has been. And that's important to keep in mind as we consider whether this can keep going and what's going to happen next. So to me, this this historical context makes me think that unaffordability could get worse. And I'm not saying that in today's market, it's going to get worse. I actually sort of think that, you know, we've seen prices started to come down. And I think that affordability is probably at least going to level off and maybe get a little better over the next couple of months. But I just want to provide some historical context and show you that, like, is it possible that it gets worse and the market doesn't crash? Yes, because that has happened before. But of course, just looking at the United States is not like a ton of data because, you know, the market has changed so much over the last couple of months. So we decided that we were going to look at how the U.S. compares to other markets, uh, in other countries, basically, and and see if housing affordability in the U.S. really is all that unaffordable compared to other countries. Right. Because like. I, I've heard this thing like, oh, housing is so unaffordable in the U.S., but then you hear that perhaps in other countries it's even worse and their markets haven't tanked. So we looked into this and for the purposes of this podcast, we decided we would um, use this study um, from the OECD. It's this big economic um, organization. It stands for the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. It is a coalition of 38 countries. It's like a lot of the large advanced economies in the U.S. Um, and, and there's tons of information in here. We'll put the link in the show notes. There's tons of good stuff in there. But on this list, out of the 38 sort of you know most advanced economies in the country, the U.S. is ranks 12th for unaffordability. So it's in the upper half, right? It's less affordable than the average OECD country, but it's not at the top. So, you know, despite some of the narrative, um, you know, it is, it, it, you know, unaffordability in the U.S. is a problem. 
um, and it's at its highest point in decades. But compared to the rest of the world, it's not like the U.S. is, and compared to the rest of the advanced economy world, it's not really all that different. It's kind of close to the average, actually, for most advanced economies. There are several countries that have less affordable housing markets. And if you're curious, Portugal takes the list as the least affordable housing market. We also have New Zealand, Luxembourg, Austria. Lucky me, the Netherlands, where I live, is the fifth least affordable. We also have Canada, Germany, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Spain, and Chile. So those are less affordable countries in terms of the housing market than the U.S. So again, U.S. as compared to most advanced economies, right close to the middle. The most affordable of all those, if you're curious, is Japan, which sort of makes sense because if you follow the global economy, you know that Japan has seen a lot of deflation and actual stagflation over the last couple of years, um, but also kind of weird because Tokyo is super expensive, but obviously Tokyo is not the whole country and the rest of the country must be more affordable to average it out. So what this means to me, you know, when we look at all these other countries, my takeaway is that while the U.S. is very unaffordable compared to its own history, there are many large advanced economies where housing is even less affordable. And so I looked into a couple of these because I I wanted to know what was going on. And so I looked at Canada and I think this is a great example. Obviously, it's another North American country, um, shares a lot with the U.S. And what's happened in Canada is that housing has been getting progressively less affordable there for decades. Like if you look at disposable income versus their their housing prices, it's not even close. And so that goes back to 2000. But what's interesting to me is that although the Canadian housing market is less affordable than the US and has been getting less affordable for like 20 something years, that it the, the prices didn't crash in 2008. They dipped, but they did not crash. And I think that's super interesting because we look at, again, when we look at affordability in the US, we saw the last time affordability was even close to this level, it was pre-crash, and then before that in the 80s. And so if you look at Canada as a parable, apparently the level of affordability in Canada has not caused the housing market to crash, at least as of yet. The same thing happened in New Zealand. If you look at New Zealand, this is another sort of notoriously inaffordable, unaffordable housing market. And in New Zealand, we've seen that things have gotten less and less and less affordable and have not crashed. Of course, you know, things could crash still, right? Like, so I, you know, this is just a single point in time. I'm just looking at history. But if you're wondering, you know, sort of the point of this episode is if you're wondering if housing prices can get less affordable, Both data points we've looked at point to yes. Like if the U.S.'s history is any guide and if international comparisons are any guide, then yes, the U.S. can see the housing market become less affordable. And that's honestly, it's not a good thing. I'm not rooting for this. I don't want housing prices to keep going up at the rate they are. I think that's super unsustainable. It's bad for everyone. I just, you know, my job is to tell you what the data tells us, right? And the data tells us that there is historical precedence 
for advanced economies having even less affordable housing markets than we have today without seeing crashes. Again, this is just history. We are in a very strange economic time. We No countries really have seen the level of appreciation that we've seen over the last couple of years. So we're all, we're all in a new time. I'm, I'm just saying that there is historical precedence for what we're seeing in the U.S. right now. Now, of course, this is just on a national level. And regionally, every housing market is different. We've been talking a lot recently on the show about how the housing market's the most likely scenario, in my opinion, for what happens over the next year or two is that there's sort of a, a split between what happens. Some markets are going to go down and, you know, uh, we're starting to see that. Some markets are probably going to keep growing. Um, and so I think it's important to look at regionally. We can't look at all of this. We will put a link into the OECD um, affordability. But what's really telling, uh, uh, and and so, sorry, well, we're, it's not OECD, my mistake. So we're going to talk about this uh, other study that we looked at called the Demographia International Housing Affordability. And this is a little bit different. It doesn't look at all 38 OECD countries. It looks 92 metro, major metros across eight countries, those being Australia, Canada, China, Ireland, New Zealand, Singapore, and the US. The results, you guys, or that housing is really damn expensive everywhere. It is so expensive. And people are really struggling with this uh, and across all of these places. And what, what stood out to me on, on a country by country level is that while everywhere is super expensive, the U.S. has sort of a wider distribution. So, you know, there are really expensive markets, but there are some that are actually affordable. The study sort of breaks down each of the 92 metro areas into four different categories. They're affordable, moderately unaffordable, seriously unaffordable, and severely unaffordable. Wow, those are all really daunting names, right? <laughs> that all sounds really cool. Um, so all four of those. In the U.S., 27 out of the 56, so nearly half of the markets, are severely unaffordable. Half of the major metros in the U.S. are currently ranked severely unaffordable. That's terrible. Secondly, by comparison, the UK is pretty similar. They have 11 of 21. So again, a little bit, that's actually worse. A little bit over half of them are severely unaffordable. But if you look at Australia or Canada, it's worse. In Australia, five out of five of their markets are severely unaffordable. In Canada, four of six are nearly uh, are severely unaffordable. So while the US does have about half being at the worst end of the spectrum, there are some that are actually pretty good. And on this list, the U.S. actually has the most affordable housing markets of all. So of all 92 across these eight countries, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is actually the most affordable market of all of them. So if you're looking for a cheap place to live, Pittsburgh, number one on the list. And in fact, the top three most affordable markets in the whole country uh, or in, 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 across these eight countries are in the U.S. So as Pittsburgh is number one, then we have Oklahoma City, Rochester, New York, where I went to undergrad uh, is number three, very affordable city. And there are a bunch more in the top 10. So we got St. Louis, Cleveland, Cincinnati, which is by a lot of measures, like right now at the end of August, the hottest housing market in the entire country. Uh, Buffalo, New York, Kansas City, Louisville, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, if you're wondering, the least affordable city by comparison is Hong Kong. Uh, and that's followed by Sydney, Australia, and Vancouver, British Columbia, and Canada. And then the, the least affordable cities in the U.S., 
I bet you can predict it. Think really hard for one second about what the least affordable city in the U.S. is going to be. If you guess New York, you were wrong. It's actually San Jose, California, followed by Honolulu, San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, and then Miami. So interesting. As a native New Yorker, I thought it was going to be New York, but it's mostly places in California. So we got San Jose, Honolulu, San Francisco, LA, San Diego. So that's what we got. So so that that's the information I have for you today. I wanted to just give a quick guide on where we are in affordability. And, and the takeaways right now are, are this. The U.S. is getting more unaffordable, but my guess is that it's going to level out because housing prices are starting to come down off their peak. And although mortgage rates are really fluctuating, and they will probably go higher, I don't think they're going to go much higher. So I think the impact of rates going up and prices on houses going down a bit are going to counteract each other and and affordability is probably going to stay stable over the next couple of months. That's my guess. But in terms of historical and international precedent, it is possible that affordability actually gets worse. And that is not what I think anyone wants to hear, but that's the reality of of what we've seen in the past. And of course, this situation is different, but that is what we've seen in the past. A couple other things that sort of stood out to me and takeaways, action steps, next steps for you are one, on the rise with the rise of work from home, we, we did an episode about this over the last couple uh, a couple weeks ago. If you want to listen to that, you should. Um, with the rise of work from home, that is stabilizing, um, and, and, hap- and about thirty percent of all days are work from home now. Um, so that's stabilizing. With that, there is evidence that people in the U.S. are migrating from more expensive to less expensive places. Right? If they don't have to live. You know, if you can get paid a San Francisco salary, but live in Tulsa, people are interested in that because their quality of life is going to go up. Their cost of living is going to go down significantly. And so we're seeing that a lot right now. And that could continue if unaffordability stays relatively high. And we're starting to see evidence of that, not just in the Sun Belt. For years, we've seen people be moving to the Southeast because it was relatively more affordable. But now, as of August, at least, we're seeing that some markets that are getting are, are the hottest right now are some of these sort of really affordable cities. Cincinnati is blowing up right now, as is Rochester, New York, just as two examples of really hot markets right now that were both, you know, in the top 10 most affordable markets across those eight countries, right? So that is really notable that perhaps demand which has been elevated in affordable cities is going to keep going. And that is a good sign for appreciation, even in the short term. You know, like some markets like Cincinnati might still go up in the market right now. And it shows for rent. Rent in Cincinnati went up, I think, 30% year over year. So if there is demand in these affordable cities, that is really notable for real estate investors because obviously that bodes well for economics, economically for people who own properties there. The second takeaway here is, is sort of a you know a riff on what I was just saying, which is home, high home prices create increased demand for rent. So when we started looking at this research, I, I was curious, you know, what happens in countries where 
there is high housing prices. Is rent also higher? And the answer in short is yes. We'll dive into rent affordability another time. But the answer is yes. If there is less affordability, then there are two things happen. There's a higher share of renters. So the home ownership rate goes down, which means that there is demand for rental properties, right? And when there's demand for rental properties, that means rent goes up. And so that bodes well for real estate investors who own properties is that demand is going to continue to go up. And this just makes sense, right? Like if people can't afford to buy, they need to live somewhere and there needs to be enough rental units on the market to supply that. And what we've seen over the last couple of years is not only are there not enough homes for purchase and that's pushed up housing prices, but there aren't enough rental properties for rent in the US and that's pushed up rent prices a lot. And I know probably a lot of, of, Rental property investors have enjoyed that. Uh, I being one of them, but you know, this to me is not a sustainable level uh, in, in the U.S. Like we can't have rent growth go up at this rate and expect our society to function well, right? There's going to be a lot of uh, discontent if if home housing prices as well as rent remain this unaffordable. So during period, just to recap, during periods of high unaffordability. They're likely to have a large amount of rent growth due to increased demand. And, and you know, that's what we're seeing right now in the US. Um, and even though housing prices have peaked in many markets, interest rates are elevated. So if affordability stays high, rent growth is likely to keep up. It is slowing down, but is likely to, to stay high or you know, at least keep going even if house prices to go down. The last takeaway here is that high home prices, you know, it's sort of this self-fulfilling thing where it actually reduces demand for homes. So when people can't afford homes, they, they drop out of the housing market. And this puts downward pressure on housing prices. And this is why a lot of people believe that because housing affordability is so low in the US right now, the market is going to decline. And honestly, that's what we're starting to see. So even though there is precedent for lower affordability, I think we're seeing that the American public is not going to tolerate. They don't want a part of it, right? We've seen this tipping point where interest rates are going up, housing prices are so high, and people see risk in that. They can't afford it. And so I believe the reason we're seeing this correction take place right now where market, you know, prices are coming off their peak. And, and again, I don't think we're at a point where it crashed. So there's definitely still a possibility that it will crash. But the reason we're seeing this correction in my mind is affordability. We've just reached a point where people don't aren't willing to pay more for houses. And so we're probably going to see things come down. Uh, again, that's not, in my opinion, going to be in every market. Um, my, my belief is that we will start to see the market split. Some markets will continue growing, albeit at a more modest pace. Some will start to see declines. And we've seen that the markets that are seeing declines the fastest right now are the ones with the least affordability. Look at places like Las Vegas, Austin, San Jose, San Francisco, you know, you know, these cities, right? The least affordable places are coming down the fastest. So this is really important. If you want to start understanding which markets are going to do well over the next couple of years, my bet is on places that are more affordable. 
It doesn't mean, you know, they have to have good economic growth. Of course, you know, you don't want to go to a city, even if it's affordable, you don't want it to be affordable because the population is declining and there's no economic growth. You, they're, they're the best chance of seeing housing price growth or at least stability over the next couple of years, in my mind, is places that have relatively consistent affordability, places that still have population growth, still have economic growth, but haven't seen this huge surge in unaffordability over the last couple of years because at a certain point when it's so unaffordable, things start to come down uh, and, and we're already starting to see that happen. So that's what I got for you guys today. Hopefully this was helpful to you. Uh, I get questions about this all the time about housing affordability, how the U.S. ranks um, compared to other countries and compared to our own history. So hopefully this answers questions for a lot of you out there, but I would love to know what all of you, what questions you have about affordability. You can ask them to me in two places. One is on the Bigger Pockets forums. Uh, we have an on the market forum specifically for the show there, and you can go ask me a question there, or you can do it on Instagram where I am at the data deli. Thank you all so much, as always, for listening. I really appreciate it. And if you like these kind of shows, if you like our show in general, if you listen every week, we would love it if you gave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. It really means a lot to us. It costs you nothing, um, and it would really help us out. So thanks again for listening. We'll see you all next time. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub, and a very special thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market. It's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that, or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.